the Bible, I would invite you to turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The sixth chapter of Matthew, page 685 in our church Bibles. Most of you know we've been working uh, week by week through the book of Daniel. We just took a brief pause in light of the Thanksgiving holiday. All spared and Lord willing, we'll return to it um, next week. And just a couple of things while you're turning there. One, uh, the Wester family wanted me to make sure everyone knew that they were grateful and thankful for their prayers. I had the privilege to be able to spend some time with them yesterday morning um, in, in the cities at the hospital there, and they're very grateful. And those of you who know Dermont, Dermont is on the mend, and we have much to be grateful for and thankful for God's mercy in, in that whole occasion. So just keep that in mind. The other thing I want to explain to you just for a second or two, while we're, the reason why we're here in chapter 6 of, of the Gospel of Matthew. So at the beginning of this school semester, middle way I should say, um, I was invited to Grand Rapids High School to do uh, a TEDx talk. And most of you know TED Talks, well this is a TEDx talk and so the, the subject matter was today I am, you can't see this but this was the folder I was given. And so I, being invited and having the privilege to speak, um, I went there to say my big, if you would, idea that I wanted to pass was Jesus' idea, uh, why do you worry about your life? And I was um, happy, I guess, in one sense that when I chose that topic and began to work on my talk, um, the very week of the um, TEDx event, I received in the mail um, my Time magazine, and on the, very, on the cover it was uh, Anxiety, Depression, and the American Adolescent. So I thought, well, good, maybe I chose something that would be useful and helpful, and having read the article, which is just, it was actually a very sad article, just the number of, of people, uh, young people, ages 12 to 17, which suffer from anxiety disorders or depression, it was amazing. From 2009 to 2015, the number essentially doubled, and they tell us that about a 25% of teens, uh, 25 or 12 to 17 years old, suffer from anxiety disorder. There's a whole host of that. So I thought, well, good, uh, maybe this will help because only Jesus can help them ultimately. So I went there and did that. And so what I did was I took this talk and dipped it in the Bible a few more times, kind of stretched it out, and I thought this would be good for all of us to hear. So I hope that you'll feel that way as we um, continue on. Okay, let's read the Bible and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, life not, is, is not life more than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Thanks be to God for these words. Let's pray together, please. Our God and Father, we pray that you would help us now as we open up the words of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that through proclamation, the truth will be in our hearts and in our minds, and that we'll be given the grace to make application very quickly. May you please, God, have mercy on all of us, especially me now, as we open up these words of Christ. And we pray this in his name and for his sake and glory. Amen. In the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, Massachusetts, there is a very famous painting done by the post-impressionist Paul Gauguin. The painting, which he said on a number of occasions was his very best work, had a title which was actually given in the inscription Gauguin wrote on its upper left-hand corner. The title was given in the form of three questions. It was written in French, and in English, it translates as follows. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? A question of our origin. What are we? A question of our identity. Where are we going? A question of our purpose. Our better, or better yet, ultimate destiny. Where are we headed? Now, Gauguin, who lived a kind of bohemian a lifestyle, he is to be commended to, uh, by putting those questions before humanity. They're big questions. The Bible has answers to every one of the questions, and they are great great evangelistic questions. However, let me just say this. If I could, if I could have added one more question to his painting, he could have easily asked a question that humanity has struggled with since its very beginning. The question is essentially this. Why do we worry? Or to quote Jesus, why do we worry about our life? That was the question. Verse 25, I sure hope your Bible is open. Why do you worry about your life? And Jesus asked this question in his first recorded sermon in the Gospel of Matthew to a group of people some 2,000 years ago. Why do you worry about your life? Why do you go to pieces? Which is the idea that Jesus is trying to express here. 
Why do you let your mind concentrate on concerns real or imagined in your life without taking into account God? And we're going to make this point in just a moment. Okay, so why do you let your mind concentrate on concerns real or imagined in your life without taking into account God to the point where it makes you literally, the word worry, where it makes you go to pieces? I mean, stress, depressed, whatever. And I suppose to some people who, who don't really know anything about Jesus Christ, that question, why do you worry? When he asked that, I bet it would almost seem cruel. A kind of, you don't, Jesus, you don't even know how hard it is out there. I mean, come on, be real. However, Jesus is simply showing and trying to point to the fact that he is the rock the world is sinking sand. Jesus is the rock. The world is sinking sand, which I imagine is the reason why the chapter 6 begins with three sections on hypocrisy. Do you see this? Don't be a hypocrite when you give. That's verses 1 and following. Don't be a hypocrite when you pray, verse 5 and following. And don't be a hypocrite when you fast, verse 16. And I'm pretty sure Jesus says this because hypocrisy and anxiety, are, they're not that far apart because both focus on the self rather than on God. In the case of the hypocrite, their concern is to be only seen by others, to make sport, to make theater out of very good and godly Christian disciplines. Friday evening, I was at a bookstore and... The Objective Standard, which is a quarterly that comes out. It's a great little book. But anyway, on the cover it says, Reclaim Spirituality from Religious and Company. And, and it was bemoaning the commercialization of religion. Everything has to be um, sold at a price. And, and everybody, everything has to be, we're the best. Come over here. And so they were just saying, it's like, Christianity is not theater. So that's the hypocrite. In the case of the anxious person, their concern is that God won't be father, so they're going to have to supply for their own need. And both haven't come to understand and enjoy God's grace and the great value that God places on their lives. Now, the word worry, which Jesus used, if we could just dig a little deeper, has the idea of only seeing part of the picture, not the whole. So you could say Jesus was saying, why do you go to pieces when it comes to living, uh, to life, to food, to clothes, to cars, to houses, job, the basics of life in the future? Why, why do you do that? And Jesus would say something like, well, I can tell you why. Uh, verse 23, because you're only seeing part of the picture. You're, you're not factoring in me. Verse 23, so your eyes are bad. In fact, your eyes are so bad, verse 23b your whole body is full of darkness. And because of this, verse 24, well, you're trying to serve two masters. And that will never work. Right? I, got a, I was reading a tweet from Tim Chalice. He's a Canadian pastor. And he said, worship what is useless, idols. Worship what is useless, money. Worship what is useless. And you become useless. Worship what is you useless and you become useless. Am I too far off the track when I say in conservative evangelical Christianity, we might have the whole money thing down, but the kingdom expansion thing down, we're not very good at. Now, clearly, worry and anxiety, they have confronted humanity, as I said, all throughout its history. 
the question, which is a good question. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it? As I live in this body, on this earth, at this time, will I have enough? Those questions and every subset of those questions, for so many, they're haunting questions. And they can't shake them from their mind. And more than likely, each of us, if we're going to be honest, on some level, deal or dealt with them. And this would probably not come as a shock to most of you. However, a worry and worrying has become an American pastime. For many people, worry has become so ingrained in their psyche. It's just part of how they think that once an old worry is gone, a new one is immediately able to be just plugged right in. And because worry can have such a tight grip on our mind, and it's so natural for man as man to worry, listen carefully, it would almost appear like that if you don't worry, it must mean that you don't care. Or the reverse, you don't really care. If you don't worry. And in every setting, whether family, church, institutions, every setting, the worry person, the person that comes in with worry, they're like the genius. And why would you let that line of thinking hold sway in our daily living or in our future planning? Why would we do that? Jesus has spoken to this. There is no virtue at all in worry at all. Not so long ago, the New York Times reported on a survey released from the American Psychological Association. The title of the survey was Stress in America, How We Are Paying with Our Health. It begins by saying, this is what we worry about. It's going to be real familiar. Money, work, economy, family responsibilities, personal health concerns, future, all the stuff that Jesus spoke to. And then they said, here is how worry affects our health. Irritable, angry, nervous, anxious, ulcers, lack of interest, lack of motivation. We just check out. Overwhelmed, dizzy, stomach pains, fatigue, sleep disorders. 50 to 70 million Americans suffer from some form of sleep disorder. Headaches, depression, sadness, decreased blood flow, panic attacks. Martin Lloyd-Jones who was the youngest physician to serve the British monarchy in the early part of the 20th century, he left his extremely successful medical practice and he became a pastor in part because he said he became wearied and saddened that the majority of his patients' sickness, this is him, had more to do with their minds and their thinking than their bodies and how they were living. And in this, worry and anxiety, he clearly saw as one of the chief causes. So let me say it like this. Let me suggest this to you. While worry can become one of the lenses which people uh, view their life, that's for sure. Worry can also, and this isn't good, worry can also easily become the framework by which people actually structure and frame and worst of all, plan their life. So they decide their life based on a worry or many worries. Now just, just think of that. Just think of that. You're planning out your future based on a worry or many worries. I'm thinking of old age. We worry, provision, we slow down, we want to play it safe. Exactly the opposite of the New Testament mandate. Finish line, me, 
sprint to the end. I'm thinking of youth. No risk. Play it safe. Be very conservative because you just never know. Worry. Now, just think of the creative potential in a person, in you, in a church, which is being sat on, sacked, just because of worry. Just because our mind is going to pieces, leaving out the Father, leaving out the Son, thinking about things real or imagined. Just because you're only seeing part of the picture, which is all of the problem, and none of the answer in Jesus. You see, this is when Jesus becomes real. John Piper At about 71, 72 years old, in May 2015, he did this uh, interview, and the uh, title was, Spend Your Life to Be a Risk-Taking Church. And this is what he said, 71, 72 years old. My desire and prayer to God is that your life and your ministry would have a radical flavor, a risk-taking flavor, a gutsy, countercultural, wartime flavor that makes average American people in your church uncomfortable. A strange mixture of tenderness and toughness that keeps people a little bit off balance. A pervasive summons to be something more, something hazardous, something wonderful. A saltiness and a brightness about your life and about your church. Something like Jesus. This is what the world is waiting for. That's good. So 71, 72 years old, insurance actuary tables. 76, 78 years old, average guy, average girl in America dies. She's got like four years, perhaps, finish line. And he's like, I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going hard till the end. Creativity stifled, vision stifled, ability stifled. Think in terms of romance. Yes, think in terms of romance and worry. Just listen, listen. You're out to dinner with your husband or wife. Romantic dinner, supposed to be. Wait, person comes to your table, you order water, they order a beverage. And in your mind, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just paid $2.75 for a Coke. And so you're thinking, you know, I, I love her, she's beautiful, romantic evening, but you know, I could have got... Three liters of off-brand Coke for $2.75. Does she know what she's doing? Then you order, and she gets like, you know, a $10 chicken dish, and you're trying to be nice, but in your mind you're like, I'm going to lose it. I can can buy a bag of chicken, $6.90 something at Walmart, and I can feed the family for a week. Who did I marry? She's a beast. Just killing the romance of the night with our calculations, right? Killing the romance of the night. And you know, you <laughs> I should, uh, something almost slipped out, but it didn't. He, he held back, and you should be thankful. <laughs> Remember, let me say it like this. I should be thankful and say it like that. Killing the romance of the night by our calculations. Now, Are there reasons to be worried today? Well, many people would say, yeah, okay. However, are there more, uh, any more reason to be worried in our time than Jesus had to be worried in his time? I mean, just think. No, you get a good history book, 
You'll learn that in the case of economic concerns, in terms of health concerns, health care, in terms of mortality rates, birth rates, in terms of safety, terror, social unrest, the lack of social programs to aid people, they in their time and in their place had a much larger potential to worry than we do in our time and in our place. So the problem is clear. We worry a lot in how the human condition may very well need the medicine that Jesus is giving in his talk, in his command, because the latter part is a command to not worry. Therefore, Jesus' argument to why his children don't need to worry, this is, this is it, verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Key verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it's important that we do not misunderstand the words of Jesus and think that he has a complete negative view of money. He doesn't. Money is dead to Jesus because money is dead. So Jesus is not saying poverty is a sure virtue uh, and wealth is a certain vice. He's not saying that. To, to say that or even think that would be not true to the rest of the scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that making financial provision for dependent relatives is part of our Christian duty. So he says, 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, you know, like Aunt Susie or Uncle Bill or, or, and especially for their own household has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. Or, this is Paul to the Corinthian church. And he's affirming him of them, of his fatherly care. And he takes a basic duty of Christian parenting. And this is what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 14. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents. But parents save for their children. Hmm. So in these verses from Matthew's gospel, Jesus is not saying that poverty is a virtue and wealth is some kind of vice. No, the key word is in verse 21, treasure. And here's the issue. Treasure is not a word which describes what money is. It's a word which describes what we think of money. That's the issue. What do we think about money? So a friend of a friend of mine, he has a list that he keeps before him to help him to be keen to know when he's actually treasuring money. So this is what he says. I am treasuring money when thoughts of money consume my day. I am treasuring money when others' successes make me jealous. I am treasuring money when I define success in terms of what I have, what I can do with it, and where I can go, rather than who I am in Christ. I am treasuring money when my family is neglected in my pursuit of money. I close my eyes to the needs of others. I'm treasuring money when I'm living in the paralyzing fear of losing money. I'm treasuring money when God gets my leftovers rather than my best fruits or first fruits. I know that I'm treasuring money when I'm unwilling to take any risk for God's glory and the good of others. And listen carefully. The future doesn't thrill me. It frightens me. See, that's the last one, right? When you think about the future, honest, honest. Does it frighten you? Or does it thrill you? Do you remember the story of Job? 
Well, imagine if everything you had was taken away from you, right? So Satan says to God, you know, Job only likes you because you give him everything, right? Take away everything, and Job would hate you. It's essentially what the evil one says. And God says, okay, let's test Job. And everything Job has is taken away. So, so imagine if everything we've had is taken away, okay? Just think, think like Job. Your home is gone. Your wealth is gone. Your family is gone. Your job, your pension, your house, your car, your computer, everything. Everything is taken away from you except one thing. One thing. So you lost it all. What would be the one thing, if you could, that you would keep? Now be honest. Think it out. If you could only keep one thing, what would it be? Where do you find your mind going right now? Now, whatever your honest answer is, then you would know what your treasure is. You see? Whatever you know that you can't live without, that's your treasure. And I can say with all the love in my heart, and I can say off the authority of God's word, if it isn't Christ and his glory, then we have an idol. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, where is our heart deposited? Right? Where is the deposit? Is it with Jesus the rock or with the sinking sand of this world? Is our treasure in heaven or on earth? Because our treasure, says Jesus, is where our heart is. And loved ones, we will never know true Christian maturity. (laughs) We'll never know kingdom advancement in Christ if we don't grasp this. Don Carson, pastor, theologian, scholar, this is what he writes. The things we treasure govern our lives What we value tugs at our emotions. It consumes our time with planning, daydreaming, and effort. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And what Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount, in this section, is that many, many people treasure material things and the material world and the things of the kingdom. They're either low on the radar are not even on it. Which is why the remedy that Jesus is describing to rid us of worry has nothing to do with any kind of financial planning, does it? Verse 33, you see it there. This is the remedy for worrying. Seek. Zeteo. It's an intense Greek word. It means get to the bottom of the matter. Get to the bottom, if you would, of the kingdom. Seek. Go all out for the kingdom. Throw yourself in it. Don't hold back ever. So Jesus does not give us any money-saving techniques. He doesn't give us any kind of saving strategies. He doesn't tell us to penny pinch. He's not saying, you know, buy sacks of potatoes and freeze your meal. I mean, you can do all that. and There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not going to stop us from worrying. How we find security and peace in a world like ours is not, Jesus says, it is not by storing up, but is actually by pouring out 
and to believe the words of Jesus. Jesus is the rock. The world is sinking sand. Jesus is the rock. The world is sinking sand. The Father will care. The Father will care. Throw yourself into the kingdom. Throw yourself into his righteousness. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to give. I mean, you know this. I don't have to tell you this. If you kind of settle down on one kind of financial thing, it's only your personal opinion. There's many ways to do the financial thing. What happens is if you got your way and I got my way and we clash, we clash on a secondary issue. We clash on something that doesn't really matter. Jesus is the rock. The world is sinking sand. If the securing of wealth, money is your highest priority because you think that if you have enough, all your worries will be removed, Jesus says in the most loving way, think again. Money can't do that. It thinks it can. And we might think it can from time to time. But it can't. Money sinking sand. It might give you a moment of peace, but it will be a fleeting moment. Jesus goes on, verse 25. So I tell you, don't worry about your life and what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. And then he gives his listeners an assignment. That's verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks a rhetorical question. Are you not much more valuable than they? Of course we are. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So this is what I want you to know. One of the things that Jesus says to help us see why we don't need to worry is he says, look at the birds in the air. In fact, it's written in the imperative. It's a command. He says, go study the birds. This is what is called empirical evidence, right? So you need data. You need proof with your eyes, your mind, then go look at the birds. Study birds, Jesus said. So I did it. I spent two weeks in October studying birds. I found out a few things. <laughs> I'm going to pass them on to you. First, Science Section, New York Times, October 27th, 2016. I read of a bird called the common swift. And the common swift is a bird which weighs about, he's a little fellow, an ounce and a half. And so biologists, they took a little chip and they stuck it in the bird. And this is what they confirm. This bird can spend up to not one, not two, not five, but ten months in the air without landing. Well, think of that. Ten months in the air without landing. It can eat in the air. It can mate in the air. And they even had data which showed that the common swift flies up to about a mile, mile and a half. And it catches the wind currents that are already there, spreads its wings, and it can even sleep in the air. Just gliding. Good, good of you to laugh. Doesn't that make your heart warm inside? To know that that's your father, right? Ten months flying around, sleeping around. No, no, wait, Sorry. That was a mistake. Sorry. <laughs> we'll never, you know, the whole sermon might be ruined right now. <laughs> Flying around, sleeping, and that other thing, okay? But hopefully it's husband or wife, okay? <laughs> Look at the birds, okay? That's the first thing I learned. You, you learn a few more things too, but I didn't mean you to know that. The second thing that we learned is that so when Jesus said, look at the birds and study them, he wasn't promoting a, a lifestyle of irresponsibility, right? 
A life of not planning and anticipating. A life lived for the common good. Because I also discovered that birds feed themselves. In other words, bugs just don't crawl in the mouth of the birds. The birds do the pecking and the picking and they forage and they have this very activity until they're in. Until they die. They keep going. The final thing I discovered was more like I remembered that my wife would make our kids remember this poem um, overheard in an orchard, Elizabeth Cheney, and this is what it said. It's really lovely. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it might be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. See? <laughs> Look at the birds. What Jesus is expressing when he asks the question, why do you worry, is something like this. Listen, you worry because you're taking on way too much responsibility. You worry because your God could be gold. You worry because your eyes can't see God's love. You were not meant to be all-sufficient. You were not meant to be self-sufficient. You were not meant to live and think that if you store up enough, then everything will always be fine. You were not meant to live and think that everything's up to you and that your well-being is completely in your hand. However, listen carefully. You were made to be cared for. Right? You were made to be cared for. You were made to be cared for. Therefore, Jesus says, you be you and I'll be me. You, we are like the birds. Me, Jesus, like the bird feeder. And you know, maybe, just maybe, all those other things that we would look to, money, financial planning, uh, frugality, investing, education, institutions, and so on, there's no, there's no vice in any of those things. But all those things that we would look to to give us the peace and the security and sense of well-being that we all desire, maybe we have given them an authority and a function and even a godlike power that they shouldn't have in our lives. And they don't have it all, right? They're finite, They're finite. They're not your father. So so I'll stress myself out to the max. I'll put in. I'll throw myself into those arrangements, into those institutions, into that planning and frugality and try my darndest and, and hope that they will secure for me a feeling of never having to worry. They better they better help me not worry. But any honest, objective person would say what? They would say they cannot do that. So we all know what it is to worry. It hurts. It never helps. There is absolutely no real virtue in worry on any level. But, but then the question is, is it possible not to worry? Right? That's what you want to know, right? Is it possible not to worry? Well, let me tell you this. But before I say this on the paper, let me say this to you. Like, as a father, like father of parents, if you had the rating father thing, like, I think I'm, like, on the bottom level of fatherhood. Good guys up here. I'm down here. 
So two years ago, my son wrote, when asked the question at our church's graduation party for the graduating class of 2014, he, the question that they gave him was, what is a favorite memory of yours growing up? Answer. This is his own answer. Frankly, I don't have a favorite memory. Rather, I have a favorite childhood feeling, which is the feeling of not having any worries or care about the future. So, so either Jesus' words are some kind of like cruel, sick joke, or it's the truth. Your sensible people judge for yourselves what I'm saying. Every earthly treasure will suck the life out of you. Jesus will die for you. Jesus will die to purchase you. Jesus pays a heavy price for you. Think of what Jesus did to make you his treasure. Think then of how precious you are to Jesus. He was Lord. He was in perfect union with the Father. He had the ultimate treasure. He was in paradise, ultimate security, in bliss. But he leaves paradise. He comes to earth. He loses everything. He's stripped naked on a cross. They cast lots for his robe. He lost every one of his possessions. He had nothing when he died except our sin in his body. And what did he do? He made you his treasure. And when you, when you see this, when you really, truly see this, it begins to humble you and it begins to melt you and you begin to really, really understand my father and his son, they're going to care for me. And then money will no longer have the power over you. And you will be released. And instead of a pond or, or some kind of small lake, you become like an ocean. And you begin to think like Jesus and you begin to see like Jesus and your heart becomes really generous. Not out of fear, not out of some superstitious karma, you know. No, verse 22, you start to get a generous eye. Jesus said, your eyes are good. The word there means generous. Your eyes uh, become generous. Therefore, a Christian who begins to really believe Jesus, they see that they are actually his treasure. What happens is they get a generous eye and they begin to cease to worry only because of Jesus. Jesus said it was okay not to worry, so I won't worry. And then their generous eye sees like Jesus, they think like Jesus, and they, th they have thoughts like, you know what, my dad's got my back. My dad's got my back. And so they look for occasions to help and to support and risk because they have their master's eye, and it's a healthy eye. They are not crippled by the cost. They are not crippled by the cost. They are just amazed because they are in love with Jesus. And they need people to know him. Verse 33, kingdom and the righteousness of Christ. They need people to know Jesus. That's the question, isn't it? All this stuff comes down to that. 
Father has got my back. Kingdom in front. The key to remove worry. Father back, kingdom in front. I need people to know him. I need people to know him like I do. Don't worry, says Jesus, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, unbelievers, people with no heavenly father, they run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The words of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, what, what a good Father you are. What a good Father you are that you don't want your children to worry. You say, you say it so plainly, so clearly, so, so helpfully. So would you please forgive us for worrying? And would you please give us as individuals and as a congregation the grace we need at every turn of our lives to not worry, to not worry. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. For Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. Please stand as we...